Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. Hello, I'm Marcus Buckland. Welcome to you wherever you are in the world. The Barclays Premier League has returned with a bang after the international break and there were ups and downs for John Joe Shelby, who benefited from some sound managerial advice at half-time. I said to him, hey, come on, we have 45 more minutes. You have to learn from this. You have to pull yourself together. And I think he did great. Everton's birthday boy hands Roberto Martinez his first win. It's been a drastic change from what we played last season, the type of football we played, and it takes a bit of getting used to it. But it's a wee monkey off our back but now we can push on and get more wins there's a new welsh wizard in north london yeah i'm delighted to be on the score sheet again you know in the last few seasons i've been getting into the right positions but had a lack of composure maybe but uh, now i'm feeling good again and everything's starting to click into place and a deadline day signing lights up the lane felt really good we're really happy to be here everybody wants to, to see some great things here and uh, yeah we're trying to do our best to achieve that this is really an exciting season i'm joined by former everton and norwich city defender matt jackson as we analyze all the weekend's action we speak exclusively to Cardiff manager Malky Mackay about their start to life in the top flight. John Hartson joins us to discuss a dramatic evening at the Liberty Stadium and we hear from Jose Mourinho, Gareth Barry and Hatton Ben Arthur. Hello and welcome back to the official Barclays Premier League podcast and hello to Matt. Hello. Now, 20 goals scored across all 10 matches this weekend and so far this season the average is less than two goals per game. Are Barclays Premier League defences getting better or have the strikers just not settled into the new season yet? I just think it shows the transition that is always going on in football. We've seen different formations, certainly from an attacking sense, the 4-2-3-1s come into the game just recently and goals get scored. And on the back of that, teams and defensive coordinators work out how to stop the goals and someone has to come up with a new system. That's why we're not still playing eight forwards or whatever they used to play in the 60s and 4-4-2s now completely gone out the window. The constant evolution of the game. Well, we'll start off with what was a pulsating Monday night encounter at the Liberty Stadium between Swansea and the early pace setters Liverpool. It finished 2-2 and it was a match that centred around the former Liverpool and current Swansea midfielder John Joe Shelby. He was a busy fellow, wasn't he? He was. He had an incredible night. I mean, he will be really pleased with his own contribution for his side. He's been honest enough to come out and I think it's something that fans will appreciate. He's come out and been honest enough to say the goals are obviously my fault. He's not trying to cover up for that. And it was a great performance from Swansea. They will be disappointed not to have won the game though. Yeah, it's Scored one and set up the other for his side and two mistakes, which uh, led to the two Liverpool goals. Let's hear from the hero and villain of the night. I just want to say sorry to the Swansea fans for two bad mistakes to be honest. Sort of gifted Liverpool would draw, really, and uh, I thought we deserved more than that. Obviously, it started tremendous getting a goal and that and two poor mistakes, but I showed a bit of character to keep getting on the ball and that and then uh, set this next goal up, so football's about coming back from things like that and it's happened to great players in their time. It's just an horrible feeling. That you don't wish it on anyone, even your worst enemy. Well, to discuss the John Joe Shelby show in more depth, we're joined on the line by someone who was at the Liberty Stadium on Monday night, the former Wales international, John Hartson. Thanks for joining us, John. You're welcome. My pleasure. What did you make of it all? Well, I thought initially he started the game very well. You know, he scored a good goal. And then it was a lapsing concentration, obviously letting in Sturridge. He never took a look over his right shoulder. There wasn't enough sort of pace on the pass back. 
which was meant to be for Vorm, uh, and then Sturridge has intercepted that. And then the second goal, he's he's in acres of room, and he's you know normally you'd see midfield guys just keeping the ball playing it. He's tried to fizz a ball across field, and unfortunately, it's, he didn't get enough height on it, and Moses cut it out. Uh, so he was totally at fault for the two goals that Swansea conceded. But from then, I have to say, I thought he showed good character, showed a lot of spirit, and he kept going. You know, he kept working, and he got into decent positions. And a lot of players over the years, you'd see that having given the ball away twice and, and, and obviously been the, the sole blame on, on, on the goals that your team's conceded, they just tend to go under and hide and not want the ball and, you know, maybe look to be substituted and think to themselves, I'm having a nightmare tonight. You know, I wish, I wish my manager would do me a favour because this is too much for me. But the way he kept going, he'll be better for the experience. And it's still quite, I know he's played for Liverpool and he's played for England in the 21s. And, and people will say, well, he's vastly experienced, but he's not. He's a young boy. He's 21 years of age. And, um, you know, I think he will be stronger for the experience he had last night. John, it's Matt. Hope you're well. Hiya, Matt. Just looking at the performance of Swansea, did you get any feeling that the issues, political issues surrounding the club in the summer with the manager and some of the recruitment that was going on has been put to bed now? Do they look settled? Do they look like they were all pulling in the same direction? Well, yeah, they've had a really difficult start, Matt. You know, I know they've got through a couple of qualifiers in the Europa League. They've got a big match now in Europe on Thursday night away at the Mestalla to Valencia. But in general, they played Manchester United. They came up against a really hot Van Persie on the opening day of the season where they got beat at the Liberty. Then they went to Spurs and, and they lost narrowly 1-0 or Soldado penalty. Not many teams will go to Spurs this season and get anything, in my opinion. Played very well against West Brom, and I thought they played well last night in stages. I still think the front two maybe is a little bit of an issue for Michael Laudrup because both very good players, Boney and Michu, it's just whether you can get them two in the same team. Now, Michu last season was the focal point a lot of the time, that number nine where everything went into him. He scored over 20-odd in total. And now Michael Laudrup has gone and bought Wilfred Borne. He paid 16 million euros for him. And he has to try and find a place for him in the team to justify buying him. And it's difficult because Swansea not normally play that way. They don't play with two strikers, one playing off another one. They normally play the four at the back with the two in the midfield, two sitters, if you like. Three then predominantly that roam around, if you like. You know, the Routledge, the De Guzman, the Dias, these type of players, the Hernandezes, with that lone front man. But if you try and get Borny in the team, I'm not too sure whether it's disrupting the system and the style of play that they've got. But obviously, Michael Laudrup is trying to get them both in the one side at the same time. And I'm just not too sure whether that's working and, and they look as fluent as what they were at times last season. But in terms of Michael Laudrup, you know, he's, he's done a fantastic job, brought in some great players. You know, you look at Michu, £2 million, Chico Flores, £2 million, Hernandez, £5 million, you know, Pozuelo this season. You know, so they, they've, they've got some real good talent at Swansea and um, they've changed the way they play slightly, which has just upset the rhythm, in my opinion. Well, let's get the assessment of the former Swansea and the current Liverpool manager, Brendan Rodgers. I thought the first 65 minutes or so of the game, we were very good with them without the ball. Looked really in control that first 25 minutes. Showed great character to come from behind so early on in the game. And probably young Coutinho going off, disrupted the flow of our game. And then obviously they get the second goal, which we can defend better on. And in the last 20, 25 minutes, they've got the momentum, the crowd are up. So you've got to show your resilience and character. And I thought we'd done that. We've still got a lot of improvements to make. We've still got one of the best strikers in the world to come back. But what we've got is we've got good ideas in terms of what we're trying to do at the moment. The players are, are working tirelessly and, and you see tonight that when they can't have the flow of the 
the game and they don't have the fluency like we had in the first 65 minutes, they've got the character to dig in and, and get a result. And tonight, a point is, is a good point for us. Well, of course, John, that point took them back to the top of the table. Luis Suarez uh, will be available again very soon. He's brought in a, a lot of players. Uh, do you like the look of Liverpool and do you think they're going to stay near the top of the table throughout the season? No, I don't. I don't, I don't think they'll stay at the top of the table. I, I really don't. I think a top four finish will, will be a fantastic season for Liverpool, all, all being they started the season really, really well. Brendan Rodgers makes a great point there that they do have Luis Suarez to come back. be interesting to see the style on the formation he plays when Luis Suarez does come back. Do you then push Sturridge out onto the left? Do you play him off Suarez where obviously then Coutinho plays and Coutinho is a wonderful player. I think Brendan Rodgers has made some really good acquisitions to his squad. I thought the young right back Wisdom had a very good game last night in the absence of Glenn Johnson. I thought Sacco and Skirtle looked good at times although I felt Sacco was at fault for Shelby's first goal. But no, I think they, they look fantastic at times. You know, Sturridge is a player, you know, in great form. Coutinho is as good a player that I've seen play at the Liberty. I've watched a lot of players in the last two years but his first half performance was absolutely magnificent. The way he was just going into little holes, little pockets and defensively they, they couldn't mark him, they couldn't pick him up. He was all over the place. He was pulling all the strings for Liverpool. And I totally agree with Brendan Rodgers there and when he had to go off because of a shoulder injury and um, a clash with Ashley Williams he was a bit unfortunate. I think he just fell awkward, Coutinho. Liverpool looked lost at times, you know. They brought on Aspas, they brought on Raheem Sterling. They didn't have an out ball, if you like, because in the last 20 minutes there was one team trying to win the game and there was one team desperately trying to hold on to a point. It was only Swansea City looking to win that game in the last 20 minutes. Liverpool were just hoping that, you know, Sturridge or somebody could do something and, and hit Swansea on the break, maybe get a lucky break out when Swansea were trying to bomb forward and get the winner. But no, I think Liverpool will, will, have, a, will have a decent season and I'm sure if they finish in that top four, that would be a brilliant finish for them. But in terms of staying at the top of the league, it's not quite sure they can see games out. But obviously Suarez will make a difference for them. But you look at the Chelsea's, the Cities, the United, the Arsenal's, I just feel that they may finish above Liverpool. And a final brief one, what would represent a good season for Swansea, John? I think a top 10 finish. You know, I think first season, you know, Swansea finished 11th, never in danger of relegation. And they finished 9th last season. I think if you can better ninth with the money that they've spent and, and the additions that they've made, a top 10 finish, I think, would be more than acceptable. John, thank you very much indeed for your assessment. Right. Now, great pleasure My to talk pleasure. to you. Thank you. That's John Hartson. Uh, interesting point, actually, he raised um, about the imminent return of Luis Suarez. And Matt, well, I mean, he's got a winning team there, but Suarez has to come straight back, doesn't he? I have fought so hard to keep him. Yes, because you don't want to give him any excuse to sulk again. The really brave decision if your team has been winning is that you don't change it. And you say, look, if, if this team can now win the title without Suarez in it, they've done fantastically well. We know that's not going to be the case. You have to rotate that squad. He's too good a player, but he has to fit in this system. And their start actually puts pressure on Suarez to deliver. Yeah, and as Brendan Rodgers has said, Suarez must now accept that he's not the main man with Daniel Sturridge in such fantastic form. Well, at Goodison Park on Saturday evening, Roberto Martinez recorded his first league victory as Everton manager, edging out Jose Mourinho's Chelsea 1-0 in what he described as a battling display. It wasn't the perfect performance from our point of view, but when then you show that character, um, all the attributes that a team has to have to be a winning side. I thought we were a 10 in that respect. I thought the crowd understood that we're still adapting, we're trying to play in a different manner, and that the way we reacted, the way we took responsibility, the way we defended was immense. Well, going into the match, Matt, he said this is the start of the new era after all the work that they concluded on, on the last day of the transfer window. And uh, that was some start to the new era, wasn't it? 
It was. It was It was a great game for them. Funnily enough, the first time that they've played a team that probably felt they could go and win the game, so they came out and, and had a go at Everton themselves, which, which I think benefited. They could quite easily have lost the game, but this would be a great fillip for them, and, and it's certainly a work in progress as big changes have to go underway with the style of play. The philosophy that Roberto and his staff have is going to take a little bit of time, and he needs the fans to, to be patient and be on his side. And Stephen Naismith, goal on his birthday, first he'd scored since the one against Chelsea in the penultimate game of last season. Yes, and, and when you start getting goals from all sources, it, it can only help. They've done fantastic business. Lukaku coming in looks an unbelievable signing for them. And I think he will flourish under a different style of play and can go back and be a real force for Chelsea in coming years. Well, the standout player in the match was debutant Gareth Barry. And we can hear from the Manchester City Loney, who is certainly enjoying his new home. You know, these night games at Goodison are always a great atmosphere. And, you know, the boys put a great shift in and they thoroughly deserved their three points. Yeah, the lads have made me welcome for the past 10 days. So, you know, it was, it was just like a you know, training game out there because you know lads have been so good. So it's a great performance. Chelsea, Chelsea played a good game. They made it tough for us, but all round we dug deep and it's a great clean sheet. He was everywhere, wasn't he, at key moments as well? He was, and it showed his pedigree. And it just shows as well, I think, that sometimes players need a fresh challenge themselves and the brave ones move at the right time. It would have been very easy to stay at City, knowing he was going to play a few games, be involved. But he's made the move, raised a few eyebrows, but you put in a performance like that and people realise exactly what a good player he is. Yeah, and there was one brilliant goal-saving tackle in the second half to keep out that Samuel Eto'o effort. As for Chelsea, what a first defeat of the season and manager Jose Mourinho admitted they only had themselves to blame. We had chances and chances. We didn't score. People with experience in football, me, you, maybe one day we have three chances, we score three goals, we win 3-0. This was the game where we had 21 shots when we had nine attempts on target. The players are good, so sooner or later we will score goals according to the to the production of, uh, of the football we had. Yeah, no question. They squandered a lot of opportunities. Eto'o in particular on his debut might have had a hat-trick on another day, mightn't he? Yes, he might have done and he's obviously got a good pedigree himself. It'll take him a bit of time to settle in. You never feel with Jose Mourinho that he wants his sides to be hugely entertaining and score a lot of goals, do you? You always seem like he wants to get that satisfactory 1-0 win and they've shut up shop for 75 minutes and been very professional. So it's an interesting contrast in the side that he can potentially put out and the one that he generally tends to send out onto mm. the pitch. And what about this, this midfield conundrum? He started with Matter and Schurler, replaced them with Oscar and Lampard in the second half. How long before he knows what his best 11 is? Well, I think he'll know. I think he's too astute not to know what his best 11 are, but you also have to keep a squad happy. Might be slightly easier for them once the Champions League starts. You have the games coming thick and fast. Players know that they're involved all of the time. So the early stages sometimes when you know, the games have got a bit of a, a gap between them and then there's an international break, it's, it's a betting in period. But this is a setback for him and it's a good test for the Chelsea squad early on. OK, coming up, we will be speaking exclusively to Malky Mackay and we'll be hearing from Hatton Ben Arthur and Gareth McCauley. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Marcus Butler. To the Stadium of Light next, where Arsenal's £42.5 million man Mesut Ozil made an instant impact for his new team, helping the Gunners move to the top of the table for 48 hours, at least courtesy of their 3-1 win over Sunderland. And Matt, first, a word about Ozil. The great provider took him just 11 minutes to come up with the first of those in an Arsenal shirt. A very good player. The cliche of all legs in one basket springs to mind a little bit, but he's going to be a great signing and, and one that's really excited the fans. Well, this is what Arsene Wenger made of the Germans' debut. 
something that he was sick, you know, yesterday he couldn't practice. His first half was outstanding, after in the second half he dropped a bit physically, but overall it was great. It was a very interesting game uh, with plenty of chances on both sides. We dropped a bit physically as well, and uh, but at 1-1 we found the resources again to take advantage this time of our chances. But overall it was a very, very, very good game. Yeah, and a pretty good effort from a man who was sick the day before. Giroud, of course, with the first goal. Aaron Ramsey, two more. It's now five already this season for the Welshman. He's had his critics, hasn't he? But you get the impression that he's just finding his very best form now. And he's still a young man. I think that's what people don't realise. To play at the highest level, you have to learn a lot of lessons. And he went into the team as a young man. But he's now feeling probably that he's an established member of that squad and he knows the game, he knows the situations he's going to come up against and he can really make his mark and he's certainly done that so far this season. A lot of good things from Arsenal during the match but of course the main talking point was Sunderland's disallowed goal when the score was 2-1. Josie Altador, the referee, blowing his whistle far too early, certainly for the home fans. Well, this is what their manager Paolo Di Canio had to say about that incident. The referee have the power to wait how finish, the dynamics of the action finish at this moment and then he can come back and he's the shit. I have to wait. It's not Paolo Di Canio. It's the rule. So, he made a mistake if he stopped the game early. Especially the dynamics of the moment, the, the action. You can see Altido is much powerful than Sanya. That was a key moment because it's obvious that we can't imagine that we can have many more opportunities to score. So, that decided the, the outcome of the game. What was your take on that extraordinary incident? I, I think... The thing that frustrates supporters and management, and when you have a manager like Paolo Di Canio, it's going to get exacerbated because of the histrionics that he will show on the back of it. But it just seems to be the lack of understanding as how the game is going to progress from an official. There was no reason to blow at that point so that when the ball ends up in the back of the net, they've then given themselves a problem. For me, it's compounded by the fact that the defender, I think it was Sanya, he, under the letter of the law, having conceded the free kick, which is then given, should be sent off. So they make the mistake by not allowing the, the advantage to be played and then technically should send the player off as well and don't do that. So Sunderland end up losing on all counts and they get the manager sent off on the back of it too. But their second half performance overall, Matt, uh, enough to give them optimism for the months ahead? Yes, but they've got a really tough run of games coming up and when you start a campaign and you're struggling it's tough because every game becomes acutely important to you and the games that you feel you really should win take on that more important status and that adds a pressure to players that sometimes it's tough and it just becomes a downward spiral not a good place to be at the start of a season at the bottom of that table well next up uh, for the Black Cats West Brom away they've got Liverpool and Manchester United at home over the course of the next few weeks and just one stat that is noteworthy at this stage since winning his first two games in charge after taking over on the 31st of March De Canio has picked up just three points from a possible 24 next for Arsenal a home game against Stoke but Matt there's struggling with injuries. Cazorla could be out until October. Giroud limped off. Murdersacker didn't play. They've got Champions League responsibilities as well. And the big question has been, OK, very good starting eleven, but is there sufficient strength in depth for them? I think the answer would be no. They were under so much pressure to do their business. Ozil takes pressure off because it shows an ambition to go and spend that much money on one player. But if you're not strengthening your squad, if you look at their neighbours' spurs, they spend their money fantastically. Well, OK, they've had a massive input from the sale of Gareth Bale, but they spread that money across the squad so you can cope with all situations. God forbid something happens to Ozil now. Arsenal are effectively back to square one and all that pressure piles up on Arsene Wenger again. Yeah, still interesting times in the red half of North London. At Villa Park, another Hatton Ben Arthur Masterclass as the Frenchman scored one and set up the other in Newcastle's 2-1 win over Aston Villa. Let's hear from the match winner. It was a good performance. The team uh, 
try to to play football, to keep the ball and try to score. We had a lot of chances today and we scored two. It's good because when it was 1-1, we keep going to, to win the, that game. We have a good personality and character. We have high ambition this year and we show we can be a very strong team this season. Well, Alan Pardew was thrilled with his performance at the weekend. How vital a component is he in the Newcastle Cogmat? Absolutely vital because he has something different. He has this ability to go and score goals, to create goals. This was a huge result for Newcastle. Been an awful lot of political situations going on, huge pressure on the manager. I think he's dealt with it really well, not said too much allowed statements to be released in his name, not got caught up in, in all the hype surrounding that and then has sent out a side to go and get a result like this, which was huge for him. Mm. Loic Remy was there, one notable signing during the transfer window, set up the first goal, seems to have settled in very quickly. Which is important and I think they have the culture there and you know, they obviously have the French influence that's up there, which has given them one or two issues. But if you're bringing players in and they have countrymen around them, it does make them a, a little bit easier to settle and you get a quick reward from them on the pitch as well. A third successive defeat for Villa after that fantastic opening day win at Arsenal um, how would you assess their current situation? Not good I think they were great at the end of last season Benteke is their massively valuable asset they've done well to A keep him happy get him scoring again because sometimes recreating what you've produced the season before is tough if you give other squads in the Barclays Premier League the choice of their players, they'd obviously take Benteke. And then who else would they take from those squads? And that probably gives you an indication of their relative strength compared to other teams. Mm. Well, their new £7 million signing, Libor Kozak, did come on as a sub. They're going to be without defender Okori for up to nine months after he ruptured his cruciate ligaments. So certainly a few issues for Paul Lambert to deal with. Elsewhere on Saturday, Villa's Midlands rivals West Brom finally scored their first goal of the season. And it came pretty late on again. Against Fulham, with Gareth McCauley rescuing a point for his side deep into injury time. Let's hear from the Baggies goalscorer. We knew it was going to be tough. We had to be disciplined in our shape. Uh, we knew we'd get chances, and it just so happened it was right towards the end. It's a great ball in from Bronte, and I've just had to just had to get a good contact. And thankfully, it's a it's a goal. Yeah, you've seen the lads. They uh, they never give up. They kept disciplined, kept in the shape, kept the good line, and knew the chances would come. Uh, as long as we stick to stick to that and put the effort in every week, we'll uh, we'll start to pick up points and wins. And I wonder, that just might be the turning point. A first goal, a point, and life is very different all of a sudden. It is, because it gives you something to cling on to. I mean, this would have been a really difficult situation for West Brom. Strangely enough, you know, you, you hear about characters in the game that don't necessarily make the headlines. And Dan Ashworth, having gone to the FA, having done such a fantastic job on the recruitment and management side for West Brom and Jalvin for so long, it's interesting that a character like that, a personality like that, can leave a club and suddenly they find themselves struggling. Recruitment's been tough for them through the summer and they find themselves at the bottom of the league. Well, Anichabi is looking to settle in there. Uh, Amalfitano made his debut as well. Do, do you think they've got the, the quality required to have a, another decent campaign? They've got the quality, but I think it's a gamble. I think you can't guarantee that you're going to get goals from them. You certainly can't guarantee you're going to get goals from them immediately. And teams like West Bromwich Albion haven't got time to wait for these players to bed themselves in. Mm. Well, I've mentioned, of course, that uh, West Brom's next game is against Sunderland, the bottom two at this early stage. And, and already a really big game for both sides. As for Fulham, well, the draw at least halted a run of back-to-back -back defeats, but there was some booing at the final whistle at Craven Cottage. And Martin Yell was understandably disappointed, both with the reaction of the crowd and conceding that goal so late on. Yeah, because he knows how important it is. When you're looking at teams at the start of a season who you expect to be in and around you, 
in the table, then if you have a chance to beat them at any time, it's so so important. You know, the archetypal six-pointer comes to mind, and, and that was definitely this, and it, and it gives the West Brom a little lift, and, and it sets you back a bit, and your Monday morning looks an awful lot different after such a late goal. Well, coming up, we'll be speaking exclusively to the Cardiff manager, Malky Mackay, and hearing from David Moyes, Ian Holloway, and Curtis Davis. But it's time now for our half-time tweets. All eyes were on Mesut Ozil on his debut for Arsenal and he sounds as pleased to be there as the fans are to have him. I'm so proud to be a member of this team, he tweeted. Spurs are level on points with their North London rivals after a win against Norwich, much to the delight of defender Kyle Walker. Great result yesterday, win and a clean sheet after internationals is perfect. Hashtag coys. And at the other end of the table, West Brom defender Liam Ridgewell was pleased to get their first goal at Fulham. Good result in the end today. Big man came up with the goods again. Good to see fans singing at the end. Safe trip home, everyone. And a couple of fans have been tweeting about their new signings. At Aliandro17 says, Fellaini M, congrats on your debut for Atman United. The presence you give in the middle of the field is simply outstanding. And at Gadwes tweeted, Ericsson and Ozil at the heart of it all today. Couldn't have asked for any greater debuts. Buys of the season. Remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the BPL by following at Barclays Footy on Twitter. Hashtag YouAreFootball. I'm here with Matt Jackson as we continue our look back at all the weekend's top flight action to the KC Stadium next where two of this season's newly promoted clubs, Hull and Cardiff, cancelled each other out in a KG 1-1 draw. Well, to discuss the match and Cardiff's start to life in the top flight, I'm delighted to say we're joined now by their manager, Malky Mackay. Hello, Malky. Good morning, gents. Now, Peter Whittingham's equaliser certainly put a smile on your face. I think I'm right in saying that you said after the match it was as good a goal as Cardiff have scored since you joined the club. Yeah, I've looked back on it as well. At the time, I thought that, and I've looked back on it, and I still have that belief. We went from a goalkeeper through four players to the goal being scored within something like 10 seconds, and they didn't touch the ball, and it was a, it was a really good goal against a good team and a team that we'd found it hard to break down during the day. And at the other end, David Marshall missed his first league match since November 2011. In came Joe Lewis to make his debut, and uh, he made some good saves, didn't he? Yeah, he did well. You know, I suppose this is the thing if you've got international players, which is one great benefit to the football club, but at the same time, they go away and there's a chance they could be injured. We were missing two in terms of Craig Bellamy and David Marshall, who were injured, but, but Joe certainly stepped in and did very well for his first, first Premier League game. Another player who caught the eye was the French under-21 international Kevin Théophile Catherine. I've heard a few different variations <laughs> on the pronunciation. I hope that's that's more or less right. But that's, that's, that's a new one for me. Yep. <laughs> Can you give us the definitive pronunciation of his name first of all? Théophile Catherine. <laughs> oh, that's much easier. Théophile Catherine. Anyway, he played well, didn't he? He did, and you know we were delighted to get him. It was one we tracked for about six months, but at one point he was injured near the end of the season, and I didn't actually get eyes on him myself. So. We had to wait till the, the season started in France for Ren, and I went over and had a look just to finally check him out. And we did our kind of work on him, and, and we got him in the, you know a couple of days to go. He's one that we'd been monitoring for a while. We thought was going to come in and do really well for us. He's, he's young, he's athletic, and he's a leader as well. And he's someone that Ren really didn't want to lose. But you know, nine, ten months left in his contract, and we managed to do a real good bit of business there. I think. Mal, just on that recruitment side of things, the way that you did your business seemed really sort of diligent. I know you obviously have to recruit, but how pleased were you with Ian Moody and the rest of your recruitment? team to be able to get bodies in but actually not overpay for players as well? 
it's massive, Matt, you know, trying to convince teams to come to what is seen as one of the three teams that are favourites to be relegated. And Ian Moody's a key component to, to myself and to this football club and his recruitment team. And it's really only in the last six months where we've been able to actually venture abroad, financially been able to do that. Before that, we're obviously we were tied financially to actually working in Britain. You know, Ian worked very hard last summer to bring players in that managed to get us promoted. And this summer, the two of us sat down and with the rest of the coaching staff and, and mapped out where we would like to go. We got some that we wanted. Sometimes doors closed we didn't get one and, and another one comes up and in the case of Gary Medell it's well known that we were put a bid in that it was accepted for Etienne Capoue you know about a month later he ends up going to Spurs but at the same time um, another door opened on Gary Medell that we'd been tracking for a while that reopened I suppose and Ian was able to go out to Seville and, and manage to finally do the business and actually get him signed so it's key as far as we're concerned Matt And in terms of the results so far Malky five points from the first four matches is that a, a satisfactory introduction as far as you're concerned to life at the top flight? Um, I think so. I think looking at it like that, um, it gives the players belief that they can play at this level. I've no doubt that they can and we're relishing the chance to do that. But I think sitting mid-table right now and, and having got into the first few games, and apart from the first 20 minutes against West Ham, we've actually looked as though we deserve to be here. And that's something that I'm, I'm delighted about. How important have the fans been to the start of the season, especially the home support? And how big a factor do you think that will be over the course of the next few months? Again, I spoke to Sam Allardyce that first day and he, he spoke about how important home, home form is. They finished 10th last year and they only won three games away from home. So it shows you how important that home form is. And the very first day against Man City, the, the atmosphere was something that I'll never forget, I suppose. It was truly stunning. And to be fair against Everton again, the, our fans were, were very, very passionate and made it difficult at times for, for Everton. So I think it's something that they're certainly enjoying life in the Premier League for the first time in their history. And they're coming in their numbers. They're very passionate people down here and you know I'm delighted that I've got them on my side. Have you managed to enjoy it, Mount? Do you get time to do that or is it very much a relentless grind now the season starts and you look to the next game and have to prepare for that and then you worry about the players keeping at the top of their game? Is there a chance for you to A, learn and, and then B, enjoy the experience as well? Certainly enjoy it and learn. Um, I'm, I'm constantly phoning other Premier League managers that I know well for bits and pieces of information, Matt, just to talk to them and trying to pick things up. Um, as far as time to enjoy it, not sure about that. I love what I do and I'm relishing this task, but it's pretty full on. There's a lot of work behind the scenes in terms of dealing with our Malaysian owners as well, you know, and also then making sure that the, you know the boys are ready. But I've got good staff, really, really good staff around about me. That are, I've been a team with me for the best part of four years now that I brought from Watford with me, and um, they're very, very important to the the future of this football club. Twitter question for you, Malky, from at Quincy M, wants uh, to know what inspired you to become a manager in the first place. I suppose it was something that I was playing and um, I took my coaching badges fairly early. I started them when I was 30. Um, as far as managing is concerned, then I got a little chance to do that for three weeks between Eddie Bethroyd and Brendan Rodgers. And I was asked to take the, the job for three weeks in between managers. And that's when you get a chance to look at it and see, I suppose, look inside Pandora's box and see exactly what it entails and all the other things other than just standing out there on the grass with the coaches. And that's when you see, do you want that side of it? Do you want the finances side of it, the media side of it, dealing with your owners, as well as just the coaching? And at the time I enjoyed it, that was probably the thing that made me think, yep, yeah, I want to do this. And a year later, I managed to get the chance. And a busy set of fixtures coming up. You've got Spurs at home at the weekend and a trip to Fulham, Newcastle at home, Chelsea away. So some fascinating games over the next few weeks. Do you set a target for a period of matches or is it the old cliche of, of just one game at a time? 
we did that last year, but this year it's slightly different at the moment. We're really just focusing on the team that's in front of us. I think certainly at this level, to do that would be a bit foolish as far as we're concerned. We certainly look logistically at the month ahead and determine when we're going to train, where we're going to travel and stuff like that to make sure that everything is as professional as possible. But the actual points tally is something that we just concentrate on the team that are in front of us and the analysis of them in the week leading up to that game. And then, you know, we put that to bed, we'll debrief it and then we'll get straight on to the next one. But as you said yourself, it's, it's pretty relentless in terms of the quality of opposition we're going to be playing this year. Well, best of luck at the weekend and thank you very much indeed for talking to us, Malky. Pleasure, guys. Thanks very much. That's the Cardiff manager, Malky Mackay. As for Hull, well, another point closer to safety. But their goal scorer, Curtis Davis, felt that they should have gone on to take all three. These are the games that we expect to be at home and win. Fair play to them. Second half, they went orthodox 4-4-2 and, and gave it all they got. Turned us a lot, kept us in our half. So it turned into a bit of a championship game at times. But overall, slightly disappointed. Go back to our last game against Man City. That's Man City, one of the best teams in Europe. We unfortunately couldn't take our chances against them. So if we don't do it against those teams, these are the games where we need to do it. And we didn't do it today again. But maybe we'll look back at this and it'll be a good point at the moment with this point. Of course, it's the perennial problem for so many teams. Matt, not taking your chances. Danny Graham missed a couple. I mean, that stat that he hasn't scored since the start of the year is going to be haunting him big time right now, isn't it? It is. And I think the problem that you always have as a so-called smaller side is that you can't spend the tens of millions to attract the goal scorers who get your goals out of nowhere to win these games. So it becomes a bit of a struggle. And that's why you, you sense that frustration in the fact they know they've played well enough to win and yet still haven't done. Well, at White Hart Lane on Saturday, two Gilfie Sigurdsson strikes earn Spurs the three points against Norwich. And manager Andre Villas-Boas feels the Icelandic midfielder has a big role to play at the club this season. Sigurdsson is a player that uh, whenever he has these opportunities, he makes the most of them. Always comes in with a great uh, attitude and I think, you know, man of the match performance for me. The fact that we couldn't win against this team last year, knock us out of the Carling Cup, draw both games for, for the Premier League. And I think the boys really stood out to, uh, to that and, and put on a great, great performance. So there we are, post-bail, Sigurdsson takes his place and scores twice. Which is great and great that the manager talks him up. It's professional, it's knowing your players, it's giving them confidence... They will be delighted if they get any sort of a return that Gareth Bale gave them from Sigurdsson. You know, he's a good player, he's a talented player. He certainly shouldn't be able to dominate a game the way Bale did. But they need every single player, Spurs. They've done great business um, and hopefully he'll be a big part for them. Yeah, and a big plus point, obviously the debut of £11.5 million Danish midfielder Christian Eriksen set up the first, slotted into the team, seamlessly grabbed a lot of headlines come Sunday morning. Well, he's a good player and, and he's been around the international stage with the young teams in Denmark for a long time, now matured to that senior team and, and has real quality. I think it's benefited him going and playing in Amsterdam with Ajax. I think making an impression throughout the whole of a Barclays Premier League season will be tougher for him, but he certainly started in the right frame of mind. And he tweeted afterwards, happy to have made my debut in the Spurs shirt. Hashtag three points. Thanks for the support. Another player to make his home debut coming on as a second half sub was £30 million Eric Lamella. All the more impressive, Matt, considering he just heard that his brother had been kidnapped in Buenos Aires. You've got to be very professional in those circumstances. Well, fortunately, it seems to have been resolved happily, but any sort of preparation like that to a game is horrible. This boy is going to be a good player. He's got great pedigree. Come over quite a young age to Italy from Argentina. Proved his worth there in Syria, and I'm sure he will go on to do the same in the Barclays Premier League. As for Norwich, well, a second away defeat in a row, and manager Chris Hutton admitted they simply weren't good enough. 
No complaints uh, with the result. We needed to get a foothold in the game for longer periods in this game. And, and of course, at 1-0, you still win in with a chance. The second goal hurts us more and, and perhaps kills the game off. So, so we've been very good against uh, Tottenham last season here. We did very, very well. And um, we struggled just to get up to that same level. Honest assessment from the manager, would you agree? Just a, a case of your old club being outplayed by the better team? Yes, and the more expensive team. Generally, those teams should beat the so-called smaller teams as well. So Chris, he's seen it now. He's got that experience to fall back on. Hopefully his team will be the same way. What you can't do is worry about going to White Hart Lane and losing because that's going to happen to you. What you have to do is make sure you win your winnable games. That is the real key secret to survival. One really good moment at the start, Chris Hewton getting a fantastic reception back at the club where he spent 27 years as a player and a coach. But we're looking to see examples of the spirit of the game and, and that's a classic one, isn't it? And it should be as well, He's an absolute gentleman, a scholar of the game as well. You know, he's done most roles. He's been a great servant for Spurs and, and would have been well-deserving of that reception. Hashtag you are football if you've got any other good examples of the spirit of the game being employed. Well, to Old Trafford next, where David Moyes registered his first home victory as Manchester United manager by uh, somewhat controversially overcoming Crystal Palace 2-0. A game that hinged on the opening goal scored by Robin Van Persie from the penalty spot after Kagisho Dikakoy was adjudged to have brought down... Ashley Young in the box. Before we get your thoughts, Matt, let's hear from both managers on the incident. David Moyes, first of all, Ian Holloway. All I can talk about is what led to it, which was us being a bit playing the occasion rather than the game. But you'll have to judge it yourselves. I'm afraid it happened. The referee saw it that way and he's done it. If I was Holloway, I'd be disappointed. Unfortunately, it's the rules of he is the last man. I don't think the boy in any way went to make a challenge to sort of wipe him out. Now, Young had already been booked for diving. Was that a dive as well? And also, was it inside or outside the box? I don't think it was a dive. I think there was enough in the challenge that he could go down naturally, as it were. So I don't think it was as bad as the incident that he gets booked for, certainly. I feel so sorry for Ian Holloway on it because you have to accept that these decisions, unfortunately, for whatever reason, are going to go against you. And you again, you have to wipe it out, basically, from the minds of your players, pick them up, move on to a winnable game again. I don't think it was that pivotal a moment in the game because you'd expect United to score and, and win the game at any point. So I don't see it as being a big issue, but you do then feel the footballing world's against you when these decisions constantly go against you. Well, we mentioned just a few moments ago the spirit of the game and diving has been a, a subject central to many people's hearts for some time. David Moyes, very adamant afterwards, he does not want his players to dive. It was quite refreshing, actually, to hear a manager come out in such adamant terms, wasn't it? Yeah, and he's been constant on that over the years. He, he was saying very similar things when he was at Everton as well, so it's not suddenly like he's taken this big moral stance, so great credit to him for that. The one thing I would say, in defence of players, particularly of a player like Ashley Young who's got good skill, good ability, he's got the ability to take on players, that's what he's doing all of the time, and he's got great pace to go with it. It actually doesn't take very much to knock you over when you're going at full flight. Not that I ever particularly went at full flight, but people have told me that it's easy to get knocked over <laughs> in those circumstances. And I think occasionally you see players go down where it looks like a dive and it isn't. Certainly he was right to be booked. I think it's the one area of a game that retrospective punishment really could help. I think it would eradicate the diving from the game very quickly if the retrospective punishment was brought in. Aside from that incident, it was a closely fought match. Palace gave as good as 
they got. So uh, Ian Holloway had a lot of positives to take back to London with him, didn't he? Yes, and he should do. And it's just whether you can extract those positives from a game like that in those circumstances. That's the key to it, that the players don't get down in the dumps. They do take the positives from being competitive, knowing that they can cope for the large majority of games against these great sides. So yes, there are positives to take. You can't get down and that next game then becomes so critical for you. Good tweet from Dwight Gale. What an experience playing at Old Trafford. Thanks to the fans that travelled and outsung the United fans for the full 90 minutes. Those United fans did make plenty of noise in the 81st minute when Wayne Rooney got that free kick. And the way he celebrated afterwards, do you sense now that he's put behind him everything that happened during the summer and that he's going to be a a United player long term? I don't think you ever really have too many doubts about him when he crosses the white line. I know some United fans might argue differently about some of his body language last season, but generally you get the feeling that he loves playing. And if you could play a game every single day, I think he would do that. I think it becomes harder. He's been around at the top of the game for a long time now, so you do have lulls in it. But he will always be an outstanding player for Manchester United. Plenty of wigs as well on show. The debut uh, from Marouan Flaney and the 18-year-old youngster Adnan Yanazaj came on as well. What, what did you make of their contributions? Great for Yanazaj that he gets involved straight away because sometimes it's easy to get bought by a club such as Manchester United. The hard bit is then getting across the white line onto the pitch. So credit David Moyes for giving him that opportunity. And Flaney... I think he will be an asset to them. I'm not exactly sure how he's going to fit into the pattern of play, but he's a very, very good player. He's got good pedigree now. He knows the league inside out and he'll be absolutely fine. Mm. Yanni's had a a young, tricky winger. Perhaps fitting that Saturday saw the 50th anniversary of George Best's debut for Manchester United. His legacy lives on, doesn't it, big time? Well, it does, and it shows the quality of him that you can survive the decades and still have that legendary status ahead of his time is certainly something you would say about in the skills. And you see some of the tackles that he had to endure, the more Modern footballer uh, certainly might balk at some of them. Well, to United's neighbours, Manchester City next, who battled their way to a bruising nil-nil draw at the Britannia Stadium to deny a determined Stoke side a third consecutive league win. I think it's fair to say that Stoke had the better chances and probably should have won the match. They should have done, certainly. They were very, very good, created clear chances as well. Sometimes you get the occasional snapshot half chance and you think, well, maybe it could have gone away. They created clear chances and Mark Hughes' disappointment showed through at the end of the game, but secretly I think he'll be delighted as well because he knows his side have responded to that new management team that have gone in and actually look to be enjoying their football as well. Yeah, he was a little disappointed, but he does feel his team are most definitely moving in the right direction. I think if we keep our performance at that level, then then we'll have a good season. We knew there would be times when City would, would have a little bit of the play, but in fairness, over the 96 or whatever it was minutes, um, they didn't have too many spells where they had real momentum and put us under pressure. I thought we coped with everything that they threw at us. Well, he was understandably motivated against uh, one of the sides that sacked him in the past. Stephen Ireland came off the bench. Uh, do you sense that they're very quickly warming to the manager's new philosophy. Yes, certainly the players and I've heard from inside the camp that they've really enjoyed the pre-season campaign from him as well so that's good. If you can recreate a Stephen Ireland, you've picked up a real bargain there. We know he has the ability, has lost his way really for the last two or three years but if you bring him back to somewhere near his best you've done great business. Well watch out for the Austrian Marco Arnautovic as well who made his uh, debut in the second half as well. As for City, well Manuel Pellegrini made six changes from the side that beat Hull last time out. Kind of showed as well, didn't it? It might be a lesson for him too, because I think he would have still expected his side to go and win comfortably. And sometimes, even though you look at a league, you look at a country's football from the outside, you don't necessarily know exactly what you're getting. And a trip to Stoke is always going to be a battle, regardless of who's in charge of them. And this will have been probably a bit of a wake-up call for him, because his side weren't good. And he will now know that if you tinker with that side, even if you've got top-quality players to put in, you're not always guaranteed a victory. 
Interesting little stat. Manchester City had never won a Barclays Premier League game at the Britannia Stadium. They'd drawn five of their six meetings and lost the other one. One plus point was their defence, and particularly the performance of Joe Hart, who Pellegrini clearly has a lot of faith in. I always trust in Joe Hart. I never have doubts about, about him. I think for him it's very important to have a clean sheet again in the last the last four games. I think the two national went with England, and uh, the two last games we play against Premier League so that's always important for a goalkeeper. So some encouraging words for Joe Hart who's had a tough time of late. Next up for City the small matter of a Manchester derby Matt. Yeah which will be another great opportunity for their uh, manager to go and prove himself but David Moyes under pressure in the fixture as well. It's certainly one that neither will want to lose. One season will take a little bit of a dip if if there is a, a result one way or the other on that so Champions League starting, pressures on, managing the squad great to be underway with another season and really fully into the swing of things. Yep, the fun and games of being a manager of one of the top sides in the country. Uh, we'll round off our look back at the weekend's fixtures with another nil-nil affair, this time between two of last season's promoted clubs, Southampton and West Ham at St Mary's. Pretty drab encounter on Sunday. The Saints were slightly the better of it, would you say? Oh, certainly. Yaskalina, with an outstanding performance, really kept West Ham in it. And they're invaluable points. And again, you're a side, Southampton have been, that create all those chances. You come out of the game knowing you've won, knowing you've played well, but ultimately feeling disappointed. And Matt, West Ham have had just six shots on target all season. Andy Carroll is out for some time. That's clearly an area of concern for them. It is. And Sam will be worried about it because you have to score goals to survive difficult when you've invested a lot of money into a player who then can't play for you as well. So yes, it's a worry, but they're going to have to find a way to cope, certainly until January. OK, let's have a, a quick run through this weekend's Barclays Premier League fixtures on Saturday. Norwich against Aston Villa, that match between West Brom and Sunderland. West Ham are at home to Everton. Liverpool face Southampton. It's Newcastle against Hull and Chelsea versus Fulham. And then on Sunday, Palace against Swansea. Arsenal at home to Stoke. Cardiff versus Tottenham and Manchester City against Manchester United. Aside from that derby, what stands out for you? I think the West London derby as well. Uh, Chelsea hosting Fulham is always a good occasion. Chelsea looking to bounce back from that defeat at Everton. And I think it'll be a fantastic occasion down in Cardiff as well. We've heard from Malky Mackay today. He'll be really looking forward to testing himself and having his side host Tottenham. OK, finally some predictions uh, for you. Uh, one word answers, please. Will Daniel Sturridge make it five in five against Southampton at Anfield? Yes. Will Paul Lambert get back to winning ways at his former club Norwich? No. Can Cardiff take another prize scalping that home match against Spurs? Yes. And who will come out on top in the Manchester derby, Pellegrini or Moyes? I will go for a draw. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Tweet us your weekend predictions at Barclays Footy. Uh, That is just about it, though, uh, for this week. Thank you very much indeed for your company, Matt. Before we go, have a try at this week's trivia teaser. With the Manchester derby taking place on Sunday, can you name the six men to have played for both City and United in the Barclays Premier League era? So that's since the start of the 1992-93 season. If you think you know the answer, log on to the Barclays Football Facebook page. Tell us what you think, and we will post the correct answers on the site later in the week. Remember, you can tweet us throughout the week at Barclays Footy with your footballing thoughts wherever you are in the world. We'll be back next week to discuss another intriguing weekend of top flight action, including the crucial bottom of the table clash between Sunderland and West Brom on Saturday and the small matter of that Manchester derby at the Etihad on Sunday. But until then, from Matt Jackson and me, Marcus Buckland, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays.